Sure, the Music Explorers podcast. I am Scoop Bagoo. I'm Elaine. Hello. <laughs> and we have a really fun conversation that um, I was really excited that Elaine recommended we talk about. Uh, unfortunately, we're going to start with a bit of a sad note. Uh, I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but it, it, it was fitting to the topic at hand. And Actually, yes. So It, it always, uh-huh. you know... It always sucks when these things happen. We try to, you know, at least muse on it for a little bit. But uh, Krzysztof Penderecki, a really well-known Polish composer, passed away. Um, He was about 89, so, yeah. Yeah, he he lived lived a good full life. He lived, I mean, incredibly successful, too. Probably one of the most well-known, like, avant-garde composers ever. Yeah, and I... I, for, I always forget if it was this podcast or if it was an earlier iteration, but we discussed uh, Threnody to the victims yeah, of Hiroshima. Um, I think uh, that was Heavy Vanguard. Actually. Yeah, I was going to say, it was, uh, you know, we've, we've done a number of different podcasts over the years, but yeah. that was a really interesting experience. Yeah. I remember that I just, I put it up on, uh, I found a video that had, it kind of followed along his actual sheet music. Oh and yeah. I put it. I was you know, home alone. You know, I was still living with my parents. I put it up on our big TV. And we had like the big sound system, and I just watched the sheet music go by on the TV as it played like really loudly. Yeah. And that was a really, really. It's one of one of my favorite classical I, music experiences. It, that piece. I mean, what, I I have a couple of thoughts on that, but I think that like Threnody for the victims of Hiroshima might be the single most terrifying piece of music ever created in my opinion like extremely intense it's yeah yeah like it's it's i mean for me it's either that or uh excavation by the haxon cloak yeah Uh, the like just as in terms of just like just just sheer terror uh Mm, which is not something i i feel a whole lot from art you know uh even if i'm watching like a straight up horror movie uh which i mean we'll we'll get to that but um (laughs) yeah so Oh, so also, uh, I think because I think some people will probably say something. Um, his name is technically pronounced. I think it's Chistov Penderecki, but uh, you know what? Neither of us are Polish, and uh, we butcher our own language pretty often. So uh, he's Penderecki to us. <laughs> oh, I'm looking. At, I have the Wikipedia page up. Yeah, I can see. Yeah. I mean, I can't say I've studied Polish pronunciation. Yeah, exactly. Like, like so, so you know what? Like, like, don't add us. I guess, even though we really don't so have anywhere to ask. <laughs> oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I like. I think. I mean, Penderecki was like probably like the first like composer I really got into. Now that I think about it, um, you know. It, just because of Threnody, you know, uh, which, you know, not to discredit the man, but I I feel like he never kind of overcame the acclaim that that piece had. Like, it was, like, his first, like, real piece, like, that really got some, like, notable reception. Mm -hmm. And, like, it just feels like that there's nothing else that even comes close to topping it. Like, off the top of my head, I think maybe St. Luke's Passion could be up there, but then, but again, like, it's, uh, like, it's still nothing compared to Threnody. 
not not to discredit again, you know, his, his other music. Like I I actually have a uh, two CD collection of uh, of his work, uh, which uh, obviously Threnody is like the second track on it. Uh, but there's some other really great uh, little pieces that he has. Uh, you know, I actually turned it off right when we started recording. Uh, but I was at the beginning of uh, his first symphony, which it might be the weirdest beginning for a symphony I've ever listened to. Um, it, it it sounds like an industrial like core, like it, it it almost sounds like a classical version of industrial beat. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, but it's like all done with the orchestra, and it's like it, it was very bizarre. Um, you know, yeah. So yeah, definitely just an interesting composer um you know he definitely mellowed out i think a bit uh in terms of like the ferocity and sort of the dissonance that he employed uh Mm -hmm. as his career went on but you know it's still always always there in some regard um yeah i think threnody is an interesting piece i mean you you saw the sheet music so yeah just it's it, it was it's full of all these strange instructions for you know things for violinists to do. Like um, I think playing on the back of their necks, on, on the back of the violin's neck. Um, I think hitting the strings also. Uh, there, there's a bunch of different like extended techniques that he employs for that. Piece. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'll say I'm I'm not a violinist, so it kind of it didn't speak as much to me as uh, you know an actual musician. But I, I feel like kind of a a, a violinist with out an, an eye or an ear for the avant-garde would look at that and be like, "What in the actual fuck is this? Yeah, like, what I, am I supposed to do with this?" Oh yeah, no. The, the, <laughs> there, there's some really like, I mean, they're like, I, I mean, I think Penderecki's time where he was working, I think you know, it was the beginning of that sort of era of composers really fucking around with uh, sort of the limits of what you could do with the actual composition sheet. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, it, it was like around this time that like aleatoric music was starting, you know, it was kind of a thing as well. So you had like, you know, these composers just, you know, sort of just stopping the group for a time or like, you know, like adding something like play what you want for this many measures or what have mm-hmm. you, um, you know, and then you have someone like, uh, Stockhausen who was just like, uh, like it, it's, it's worth looking into just the this weird stuff that he would do with sheet music um and then there was like you know um Ligeti who just you know dabbled in graphic scores even so it's it's an interesting time um oh i also well, this is really weird because i, I just i noticed this about penderecki not too long ago that uh, I think he like i mean i think all classical composers have this to some degree but he has a number of works that I can't find full like versions of basically. Um, like he he did a opera based on Paradise Lost. Uh, really? Well, yeah. That's interesting. Which I mean, honestly, like a opera based on Paradise Lost sounds pretty cool in my mind, and I cannot think of a better person to do it. Um, you know, but they only have like the most I was able to find, and I, I could be wrong because I wasn't like you know scouring everything on the internet for this. But I, I found one CD that had like a couple of pieces from Paradise Lost, but not the entire opera, which is to be expected because most operas are like you know like two to three hours, 
so they, they end up taking up like you know three discs sometimes um but i i just find it weird that there are some pieces that don't go fully recorded i guess or at least fully released to the public like like zorn has a couple of classical pieces that are still like you know like if you look on hips road which is like sort of the umbrella company overarching uh over zadik uh mm-hmm. they they list a bunch of works that he's done that just aren't anywhere like publishable but i'm i'm, I'm certain they, they probably had a premiere which is why they're they're listed there mm-hmm. um but yeah so uh yeah Pendereki's always been an interesting composer for me i mean i you, you you don't see someone of his caliber collaborating with like someone like johnny greenwood every so often yeah uh, for sure but you know that's that's one of the albums that they did and it's really cool uh even though it's it's mostly just i think it's just separate pieces from both of them just put together in one album but still cool yeah cool. and i think something that was um really interesting because I, I believe on that episode um andrew was with us when we recorded and uh, talked about Trinity. I'm pretty sure he was, Thrin- or at least I... we, we made him listen to it. And he said that he thought that he would appreciate it as a, you know, as a piece of film or, or rather as a soundtrack in a, in a piece of film, uh, but not really something he would ever imagine listening to. And I think that's another cool element of his work is that it, it really touched on that um on that aspect of media you know it really spoke to um or was able to speak to horror fans through movies like the exorcist and the shining yeah uh, you know, kind well, of the, it, was it in the exorcist I, I thought that was just mike oldfield's tubular bells yeah i guess it, it features it I'm, I'm not pulling this from knowledge i'm just reading it off of wikipedia but yeah. it, it features uh, his string quartet and canon for orchestra and tape, apparently. Okay. And The Shining features six pieces of his music, and then it lists, you know, yeah. lists all of them. Yeah, the, um, the, the Shining is definitely the most famous example of yeah. his music showing up. Um, but, and I think that is really interesting, is that the vast majority of, I mean, not that those pieces reach the level of Threnody, at least not in my, you know, I've seen both films, I don't recall it reaching quite that level. Uh, but it's it's interesting how people would never listen to that kind of classical music uh, just on their own, but it just fits and it, it makes sense to them in that kind of context. Mm. Um, and, and like I don't I don't have a larger uh, you know explanation there. I I think that's interesting because I, I mean I, I mean it, it does I mean it makes sense in the context of what they're you know watching obviously. Yeah. It, uh, but what were you gonna say? Finish your thought. It's just it's interesting that it doesn't. Um, because you know, for for me at least, when music that bothers me outside the context of a film would also like, for example, I don't really love bagpipes and mm. movies. Except, except make... when you're listening to Corn. Yeah, <laughs> but, but <laughs> movies that I mean, obviously, you know, movies use music for a purpose. So movies that have bagpipes, whatever. But like, it does. It annoys me no matter where I hear it. But it's mm. interesting that people can watch. Um, those kind of movies and not like be visibly i guess because it it pulls you in you know his pieces and when i was watching threnody just watching sheet music on a screen it's not really something i do on the regular as you can imagine but it just was so you know entrancing what he put before yeah so i 
I think part like I think part of the reason we're attracted to it uh, is because it's it's so unlike what we think of when we think of classical music. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I, like, and I think that that's part of the reason that it sounds so disturbing to a lot of other people mm-hmm. is that you know because you know like the western western music is you know it's based on the idea of like harmony and you know we're doing you know Pendereki's doing stuff that's clearly dissonant you know or like at least atonal you know and so it it just you know it it physically clashes with the ear wrong yeah so that's a good that's a that's a pretty succinct way to to put it because that's that's kind of the the general idea that's been Positive to me from people who do, you know, why do you listen to that? Why do you like that? It's because they just they can't understand getting enjoyment from listening to dissonant music. Or yeah, but it's, people it's, screening. It's, screening it, it, it's funny because like those same people often are like you know fans of like horror movies or you know thing, things like that of of uh, you know art. Like I think it's just it's it's about presentation. I think because you know like when it's all dressed up, you know like. When it's Alfred Hitchcock, when it's the opening, you know, scene from Psycho, you know, with that, um, I can't remember the piece from it, but it, it's a famous composer who ended up doing uh, film scores. Um, but, you know, like, just when, when it's in that context, or it's like, you know, uh, uh, Marion Crane getting stabbed in the shower, you know, it's it lo- lo- like it's it's suddenly fascinating, you know, and it's it, it's a maybe not agreeable but it's like tolerable because you know there's there's other media with it i guess but yeah so yeah i I could see that in a way maybe it's like a you know some people when you take a shot you have a chaser yeah like like you you take a i can see that maybe maybe wouldn't take a shot of vodka by itself but if you have some some sweet sweet oj right there it's not as big a deal yeah, or like, uh, isn't it like an Irish car bomb, or is it? Isn't that like oh, whiskey an, and beer? An Irish car bomb is that, that's like that, that's like the opposite of a of a chaser. That's when you drop a shot in a, in a glass of beer. Yeah, yeah and that, oh, that's yeah. that's like yeah. I've never done that because I I, I don't hate myself that much. Um, I I mean I've never been drunk and I haven't had a drink since 2017. So um, it just shows how much my knowledge is on the subject. Being, it's an interesting feeling, and it's it's not something that I we, we need we need to discuss. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm not. I, I just don't. It's not something I I particularly want to experience. So yeah, which is um, totally fair. Yeah. Um. But sorry. So, uh, you have any final words here? Because I I don't really have anything more. Um. You know, it, it sucks that he's dead, but you know, it's not unexpected. He had a long life and a very very successful career so but interestingly enough it provides a kind of really interesting segue or yeah interesting in the sense of like kind of interestingly timed that you know it happened to coincide when we're going to talk about this yeah uh elaine suggested we discuss you know more broadly um music and film you know kind of a very open prompt about you know our experience with it our, our thoughts on you know when it works, when it doesn't, yeah. perhaps. But I, also, I, I thought it was a good idea to sort of split this conversation in two. Um, but what, what were you going to say? Oh, I was going to say, and then you know, on top of that, just discussing some of our favorite, you know, yeah, just examples of, of when we we think music has been especially effective in movies. Yeah, just like some of our own favorite scores or what have you. Um, yeah. 
yeah, that's basically what I was just going to say, that we kind of split this into two. First one is just, you know, basic discussion. I kind of want to posit this question to you, uh, you know, sort of this idea of what makes good film music, because I, I'm not really sure if it has, um, you know, a definitive answer, even though I, I tend to go with sort of the idea that uh, the best film music is that which enhances uh, the scene that's being, you know, shown. Uh, but, but, but the thing is, like, how that's done is always in a different way. Like, you know, I, I don't know if you've noticed, like, sort of, like, this new trend in, tr- like, even movie trailers where they'll, like, they, they'll, they'll take a popular song and then do, like, a minor key version of it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, not a huge fan, frankly, but, um, you know, still. So, I, basically, I, I kind of want to just hear your thoughts on this because... Um, yeah, it's something I, I'm always thinking about, especially since um, I'll get into this a little bit. But I've been I've been watching pretty much a movie every single day since uh, I've been like quarantined <laughs> in here. So uh, I have I've watched a lot of stuff <laughs> over the last over the last two weeks. So um, yeah, yeah, Laura and I have actually um, you know maybe not to that extent. We've watched more movies you know since we've just been inside majority of the time and for me when I was thinking about you know since we decided this was going to be the topic I just kept brainstorming you know what is it that makes an effective score because you're right it really you know what a score that works for one genre wouldn't work for another and you know do do you sometimes like it's even like how it's done because like you know I I, I've seen like uh like I was watching the the remake of uh Suspiria um and uh, Tom York does the soundtrack for that. And uh, there's a scene. I'm not going to explain the scene, but it's a, it might be the single most gory scene I've ever watched. And I've watched a lot of horror movies. Um, but the song that's playing is, is in, like, major key and everything. It, it, it's, a, it's a powerful moment. So Yeah, and yeah. sometimes when you can... Um, maybe subvert expectations, or or you can be really, you know, in lockstep with the mood, or enhance it, or or kind of guide it in a different direction, or set the tone mm. in a certain way. Uh, you know, you can also, you know, I thought about good and bad examples of when using um, using popular music works, like when using you know songs released in a different context, but it works perfectly with the movie. Yeah, um, sort sort of like how like I I think every single Vietnam movie ever has used at least some sort of Rolling Stones song. Yeah, but like, almost always give me shelter. Yeah, or or exactly. or well, I I mean you could say that about any Scorsese film too, uh, but like it, you know no song gets to the heart of like the nineteen sixties and the seventies or at least the early seventies more than give me shelter yeah. for some reason. So. Um, yeah, I, I, I kind of get what you mean. Yeah, and I guess, you know, quickly before I get to my larger point, a, a great example of kind of a, an effective and interesting use of popular music is uh, the first Deadpool movie, is when he, you know, there's a, se- a sequence, kind of a cut of him being tortured, essentially, and they play, you know, Mr. Sandman, Pour Me a Drink, 
or bring yeah. me a drink, whatever the lyrics are. Uh, Mr. Sam, bring me a dream. Yeah, bring me a dream. I always fuck that. I don't know why. Like that song specifically, I always fuck up the lyrics. But um, <laughs> you, the, 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 that's actually a phenomenon. It's it's like a scientific phenomenon. Yeah, and I do. Of, I do of the, people hearing different lyrics. I, I yeah. do it a lot because, or a great example is the Ed Sheeran song Castle. Uh, I think it's Castle on the Hill. Um, I kept hearing singing to Tiny Dancers. Instead of singing to like the song "Tiny Dancer" by Elton John, what it actually is, so yeah. the, the lyrics I was singing was singing to like small dancers. It, it's it's funny you bring up "Tiny Dancer" though, because that's one of the most frequently misquoted songs. Interesting. Uh, yeah, because uh, people think it's a "Hold Me Closer, Tony Danza." I think. Oh yes, that's right. Yeah, oh, that's funny. Um, um, but yeah, in, yeah. in Deadpool, obviously, it's, it's a really dark scene where he's, he's being tortured, and you have this, you know really classically upbeat song we're playing over it and it, it, it works but is also not exactly what you expected in a scene like that yeah um, but I guess my larger point when I was thinking of examples like that and, and examples we'll get to later in this episode um, a great film score or a soundtrack is something that has the ability to both you know bring you in to a movie and also take you out of it and just kind of cycle through that. Uh, I think of it when we, we watched Lord of the Rings. What do you mean of take you out of it? Yeah, when Lauren and I were watching Lord of the Rings, uh, you know, me for the umpteenth time, Lauren for the first time, yeah. there was just <laughs> so many moments where, um, you know, it just, the score fits so perfectly what, what was going on and it just, you know, it helped enhance the story and I was fixated but that, that was Howard Shore, right? Yes. Who did that? Yeah. yeah. And, but at the same token, there were moments, you know, especially when, you know, there was kind of a, a bridge scene where they're walking or whatever, where I would turn to Lauren or I would kind of like, you know, take myself out of the movie for a second and be like, wow, this score is awesome. Or, or, you know, I would focus on the music separate from the movie because every movie has those scenes where it's just, you know, just pictures, no dialogue. And there's just kind of, I guess, bridge scenes. I don't know, like, what the technical term is, but... I feel like a good score is something that, even in the middle of watching a movie, you you can kind of have a mental aside or a vocal aside, depending on you know your your partner's feelings about talking during movies, and you can just appreciate what's going on. But at the same time, it's so effective in its main goal, which is conjuring um, conjuring a mood and creating um, creating that atmosphere that works perfectly for the scenes and. A great movie that made me realize how important soundtracks are, and this movie made sense that it didn't have one. Uh, a Quiet Place. I mean, I, I, I think, oh, I think yeah. there there are moments where um, I don't actually remember any specific musical moment because obviously the idea is that it's it's quiet, but having so many scenes with no sound and no music, it makes you. It made me appreciate. Um, just how important those elements are for regular mm. movies. I mean, I had never been in a theater that quiet in my in my life. I'd never really been a public place that quiet in my life. Even I felt like even some of the, um, I don't know. I felt like even some of the the scenes that perhaps weren't like where there even was dialogue it just felt quieter like the scenes where it wasn't you weren't meant to focus on the fact that they were being quiet the scenes where you know they actually were talking here or there or there were actually mm. noises going on it felt so much louder just because it that was all that was there 
And it just made me realize, because, I mean, that's a large, big-budget action-adventure movie, especially for... I, was that a large... I thought that was a kind of like an indie film. Or at least in in, in scope, and maybe I'm, I'm kind yeah, of... Yeah, it, it, it was definitely like a phenomenon. Yeah, and maybe I'm blending the idea of big-budget with just, like, big reception, but... Um, well, it's, I mean, so, like, not to go on a little thing, I'll just keep this short, but, like, I, in my opinion, like, sort of the divide between, you know, independent film... And, like, you know, corporate produced film has kind of, like, blurred in a very strange way. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I, don't, um, I don't even think that's... Some... Yeah, I don't think that's a, a, an unfair opinion at all or, or like, a hot take. Yeah. I think that it's, it's totally changed. Uh, I mean, look at look at a studio like A24. You know, tech, yeah, exactly. technically they're, like, a... You know, I love A24. I, I've, I don't think I've seen, oh, yeah, me too. seen a movie from them that I, I disliked. Um they, I mean, technically, they're an indie house, you know, indie movie house. But how many movies have they put out that have been super critically acclaimed or just generally really, really popular? I, I mean, I, I'm not even thinking. I'm thinking of like uh, just in terms of distribution, even that, yeah, like, sure. you know, oftentimes you like, like, you know, people will make an independent film, but then it'll get picked up by a bigger studio and distributed, and so like it'll technically have their name on it, but technically it's an independent film. So it's just like, yeah. You know, it, and it gets even weirder when you bring in sort of like this new, uh, you know, all these new streaming services and sort of the way a lot of these companies are, are sort of treating uh, films yeah, under that for sure. practice. Like Suspiria, um, I think was an independent film, but it's released under Amazon's studios. Interesting. You know? Yeah, it's it's bizarre. Um, oh, I, I wanted to add, though... Um, you know, I think what makes a great soundtrack as well is that it can be listened to on its own. Yeah. Although that's... I mean, I feel like that also brings in personal taste to an extent. Like, for example, I mean, I think, I love the Star Wars soundtrack. I don't know if I would listen to it... I, I guess, yeah. I think the, o- the only caveat I'd add is that I could enjoy listening to it independently. But I don't know if, like, I would sit down and choose to listen to the Star Wars soundtrack, for example. See, I, I, I guess it, it, it sort of depends, because, like, like for me, I, I don't, li- like, I love Star Wars, but I would never sit down and listen to the Star Wars soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like, it's, it's, I think, but mostly just because it's, like, you know, it's sort of the same orchestral, you know, lineup type of thing. Like, it doesn't feel like they're doing anything new with it, even though what's playing is awesome. Like, Duel of the Fates is, like, one of my favorite like soundtrack uh like score tracks ever yeah uh just like it was so mind-blowing when i first heard it um but at like i was thinking more of like um how like you know but lately you know there's like been like this string of like electronic producers doing uh you know film scores yeah or like you know like um or even just like more low budget like like uh what came off like like Mark Corvin's score for The Witch, uh, is one that sticks out to me, mm-hmm. of just of of something that I would listen to on its own, or um, uh, the soundtrack for Ender's Game, even though that that's more of an orchestral score, uh, which we'll, we'll get to Ender's Game in a little bit, but um, <laughs> yeah, but I think that's an interesting approach the studios are taking. I mean, I mean, I have a number of examples, uh, just looking at my list that I pulled together in terms of my favorites where. Um, like I'm, I'm not going to pretend to be in the heads of people making music back or, or making film scores or producing movies back in the day, but I feel like it's become more commonplace to have an artist kind of removed from um, 
an artist that isn't specifically making film scores. Like, like, See, like I, a modern artist who isn't, that's not their sole job. They're not a composer I, who is commissioned to do that. It just they were asked, you know, as an artist to come in and create a piece, but they're an artist that people appreciate otherwise. And I think so, bringing that mindset to producing a soundtrack is very different than someone who is first and foremost known or purports themselves as a film composer. Yeah. I, I, I think there's, you know, I think there's a reason for that trend and it, not to say that it, cause I think it's, you know, it's been, there are cases of it happening throughout, you know, film history, you know, um, I keep going back, back to Suspiria, but like the original Suspiria was down by, uh, the soundtrack was done by a Krautrock band named uh, Goblin. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And then, um, I'm trying to think, oh, um, Werner Herzog did a remake of Nosferatu, um, and they had, I think it was Popol Vuh, uh, do the soundtrack for that as well, or like, uh, Queen doing the Flash Gordon soundtrack, or, you know, what have you, but I, I think this new kind of trend of it, I, I think it started with Trent Reznor being asked to do the, uh, social network soundtrack. Yes, I think that's a really great observation, yeah, absolutely. Because, like, it was just, like, the first time that, you know, uh, like, a major film was, you know, sort of you know, being scored by someone who wasn't, like, a classically trained composer. Yeah, or at least, you know, sure. not, like, a quote-unquote, like, composer, you know. Yeah, because, um, I, I mean, you're, I remember when that, that happened. It was it was news. I mean, not that, oh, yeah. like, whenever, you know, an election, and I have a number, again, number of, I don't want to play my hand too early, but... Yeah. If, when some of these artists were announced that they were, you know, they made the soundtrack, or in some cases, it just kind of happened. You know, the movie was released and they're like, oh, here's the soundtrack. You know, I did this. Um, it's just, it's not as weird as when Trent Reznor did that. It was, it was really interesting. Like, it was, people were oh, like, yeah. oh, that's, that's, that's interesting. That's unique. You know, that's not really something that people did. Cause I think people thought of, you know, like a John Williams or like, like a Howard yeah, Shore. Exactly. Someone who, you know, they, that's what they were known, they were known for writing um, these, there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but I think it does add a different depth to it, and especially with um, the the playability, the replayability of an album. I, I don't know, mm-hmm. like you said, like I, I wouldn't really, there are so many, there are a number of, of scores I was looking through for, for this episode, and there are so many scores I love. I remember growing up, I love the music in all the Indiana Jones movies, you know, the Star yeah. Wars movies. Uh, obviously, the first Jaws movie, just that one, I, that musical motif is so memorable. But I wouldn't sit down and listen to those. I wouldn't, like, buy a record. So, I, I think that that's because, like, you know, a lot of it, like, I I don't know if I would consider those good scores, you know, in a way. Like, not to say that the Star Wars theme is bad or that the Jaws theme isn't iconic. It's just that the rest of the film, you know, like, the rest of the score is just... It, 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 it's like mush compared to you know what to, to those big numbers it, it's like that um like you remember that that i don't even know i don't even know if it counts as a, as a piece in um han zimmer's score for the dark knight uh where it's it, it's like that that crescendo um like as like he's like taking like the bat bike somewhere yeah yeah uh, yeah, yeah. L- l- like I, I think that's an awesome little piece, but like 
the rest of the score is just not worth listening to. Yeah, and that's interesting. I think the the um, the movies I mentioned. I mean, you're not going to get a more iconic, uh, you know, musical film score moment than that in Jaws, and then obviously oh, yeah. the you know triumphant you know scrolling intro to Star Wars, but. You're or, right, or the, uh, the 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 theme for Jurassic Park, yeah, or, exactly. Yeah, yeah but I think, ET. Yeah, I, yeah. I think what, what separates it from uh, from like Lord of the Rings, which is, is similar, to like a, you know, a big epic movie that you 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 know you would consider See, a blockbuster I, film. I, I can't. I mean, maybe it's because I don't. I haven't. I've only watched Lord of the Rings like once, and I wasn't really a big fan of it. That um, like I don't really remember a single piece of score from any of those movies oh, i mean i, I yeah. this is one of one of the nearest dearest movie franchises to my heart and it's yeah it's something that at least for me there are moments throughout the movie that pull me in and, and recurring motifs that are you know effectively used throughout you know in my opinion but it's it's totally a good observation on your part that i, I will you know always anytime it's become like a pop culture thing you know, like where you hear hear the jaws, you know that kind of that that string um, that string line, or, or the, the obviously yeah. the, the Star Wars uh, theme. It, it's something that you hear it, and it's it's used, um, you know, used over and over again in pop culture. Uh, like even like for Lauren and I have started watching Arrested Development, and there's a recurring theme of you know like the the peanut song the the like the, the yeah. set like da, na, 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 na. no that it's one? the or... uh, like the set like the christmas time like it's kind of like a sad oh. piano melody like they yeah. use that again and it's funny cuz you you know where it's from you know that's what i think of when i think of you know all types of of references and whatnot for those yeah. pieces and i think that's I... kind of i think sometimes an, an iconic moment can overshadow and a lot of it is nostalgia as well like for, oh yeah like yeah. A, a good example of movie nostalgia is did I text you that I've rewatched Space Jam for the first time since I was a kid oh yeah we, we, we were talking about this last week after recording yeah I thought it was it was one of the worst movies I've seen on honestly <laughs> and I, I thought back to just how much I adored the movie as a kid so that's just it, 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 like just side note it, it's like the first meme movie like it, it it was shrek before shrek was even like created and what's amazing is that the original movie website is still up and you can go to oh, it oh yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's so bad um but that's just that's a that's a meme example of just how powerful <laughs> um nostalgia can be like i remember when laura and i watched the first star wars you know for the first time obviously i i'd seen it a number of times as a kid as we were watching it, she was like, "This is really, really corny." And I was like, "You know what?" Wait, it, Lauren had never seen Star Wars. No, and so, I mean, this was a couple years ago. We watched it for the first time. What? I don't know why. I don't know. I don't really know why. What her family watched as as kids? Yeah. What, what, what the hell did did he just stare at a wall for ten years? No. Um, but yeah, like, D- don't tell Lauren I said yeah, that. No, I won't. But we, we were watching <laughs> it, and I'm like, you know what? This is really corny. <laughs> This is this is really corny. I mean, like it, it's it oh, was yeah. still fun. It was a fun movie, but I think that, um, in the same token, more taking a more niche, you know, narrowing down what what I, we were just talking about. Um, you you think of Star Wars as you know like a quintessential good score, or, or like Jaws is a quintessential good score. But you're right. Thinking back, I, I mean, I don't really have any more memorable moments than than that. And I like those movies. 
you know, I, I like the original Jaws a lot. I haven't seen the other ones because they look terrible. Um, mm. But on the flip side, having an experience like I have with Lord of the Rings, where for me it's holistic, is that I love the music, love the you know the acting, the costume design, the set design, you know, everything about it. And music is a key part of that. You know, it, it's it's something I think too. It's immediately can conjure a mood during the movie. Um, there and are times mood. like for growing up. We would literally just rewatch the Battle of Helm's Deep, just because of the <laughs> mood, the, the the sound design, the music, everything. That, that that's from the uh, way that that comes together is just such a memorable scene, and a good part of that is the music, is that it helps to enhance what's going on on the screen. Um, yeah, I get you, man. Yeah. All right. Well, so um, I think before we get to talking about some of our favorite scores i thought i th- there was just something i wanted to briefly kind of touch over because I, I i feel like this could be almost an entire episode in itself which is just the relationship between film and music because i i, I keep seeing all these parallels uh, just sort of of artists on both sides of this like proverbial fence being inspired by each other um like for instance you know john zorn was is heavily inspired by like cartoon music Mm-hmm. Um, but then at the same time, we have someone like, oh, e- e- like, I don't know, like Scorsese, Martin Scorsese is probably a good example of just, you know, including a Stone song in, you know, in like every movie or having like these references to, um, you know, classic rock or, well, but that's not really a Scorsese thing, but, um, the, like, I guess Tarantino, maybe, um, mm-hmm. You know, but 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 it's around it. It's it's just really interesting how these artists sort of inspire each other. But but you don't really see it show up in the same way in other art forms. If that makes any sense, or at least to the extent that I've seen, like maybe poetry and like visual art, like paintings. Mm-hmm. But that's still it. Doesn't even seem as like the same because I mean, like we we have music videos. You know, mm-hmm. like things like that. Like, like there's, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on it? Or, yeah, I guess that speaks to the intrinsic connection between, um, you know, music and and moving pictures, for lack of a better term. Just yeah. because something that you can you know is often levied as a compliment by music reviewers and whatnot is that, um, music kind of feels like, or an album feels like. Uh, a score to a you know a movie that doesn't exist. Yeah, uh, you know, like it feels like you can. There's imagery, um, and I guess that speaks to partially what makes a great score. It is even if you take away the the movie itself, you at least. I mean, obviously, you don't know exactly what's happening, but you're listening to the score, and you can tell the general emotion and the mood and the swell of action. Yeah, and what might be taking place. I, um, I, and I think it's a good observation on your part that that is very unique. And that's not really something that does cross our form that much. I, I think maybe it has to do, be, like, sort of because those are our two biggest senses, like, the senses that we use the most, like, we see and hear more than, yeah. uh, or at least, uh, you know, they probably feature more prominently in our consciousness mm-hmm. than other senses do. Um, and so, you know, in that way, the two are inextricably linked. That, like, you know, it, like, you know, you, you, you hear the thunder, and then you see the lightning, or is it? It's vice versa. Yeah, it's the other way around. Uh, that you, well, you, you see the lightning first, and then you hear the thunder. 
that's what I'm trying yeah. to say. Um, yeah. It's, so maybe that's why, but it's just, I've just found that interesting. Like it's sort of like, um, I don't know. It's, it sort of reminds me of, of like little, um, sort of musician foibles in a way, like how, um, jazz musicians are really like obsessed with like Stravinsky or how, uh, like rappers, you know, always talk about like Grey Poupon, you know, it's, 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 it's just, it just kind of reminds me of that in a way. But, um, let's talk about some favorite scores. Um, I actually want to start off if you do not mind. Yeah, sure. Uh, because this is probably the most traditional one that is sort of in the list. I, and I actually didn't even compile this. I, I'm just throwing stuff off the top of my head because I, I listen to a lot of film music, um, you know, when I can. Um, is uh, the score for Ender's Game. Uh, I think it was Steve Jablonski. Um, and uh, this is just a weird pick because, I mean, not only is it just like a regular orchestra doing this score, but it's a pretty shitty movie. Um I, I just I, I, as a huge fan of the book Ender's Game, um, like I, I was really psyched to to see the adaptation of it, and it was so it was so bad. Um, like it, it maybe just disappointing, I guess more than anything else. Um, but the score was really good. Like it really like I, I I don't know if it matched the original book that well, but it, I really like the music that's in it. So, uh, like, the, the, there's a lot of really interesting, like, arpeggios that they do for some of the tracks that, like, really kind of give you, like, this grand, epic outer space vibe. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so. Yeah, that actually, that, that was a book I, you know, couldn't put down when I read it as oh, a kid. God. Yeah, me too, man. J- just, just hearing the reaction to the movie from critics and whatnot i was like that's that's okay yeah that's that's, that's just fine i don't it, i don't I it's don't a need shame because it was well cast i mean like asa butterfield is like perfect to play under yeah and, like, harrison it, ford it, was good too you know it's just it it reminds yeah. me of do you remember the uh aragon series it was oh my god yes that i love yeah love love those books me, as a me kid. too I, I read like the first two i think yeah, I don't. I don't know if. Yeah, I think I. I also read the first two. Uh, yeah. The movie was just not. Yeah. Good. Like it just was really bad, and it broke my heart as a kid because that was one of the first. Because obviously I've read Harry Potter and and some of those, but that was like I think the biggest book I'd read at the time, mm. and I, I loved it. But um, yeah, that's. I mean, unfortunately, I haven't heard that score because I you know haven't seen the movie. But I totally. I'm glad to hear that because, the, just the. Again, the, the pictures that I put in my mind from oh, the yeah. book, like you just you you hoped that that was captured in the, the soundtrack, the, and it's good to hear that it was the the track that it's called the battle room that obviously you know plays when the battle room's happening um, is like fucking amazing. Like it's so cool, and it's it, it's actually one of the few like um, scores that I'll I'll revisit like without watching the movie. Like I'll I'll just put it on from time to time. Like I, I've I've thought about buying it, but I'm like I don't want to spend that much money on a soundtrack for a bad movie <laughs> in a way. Exactly. Um, as as I, I guess as vain as awesome. that is. <laughs> uh, so did you want to go back um, and forth? Do you yeah. want so, to run down your list? What if? All right. So with my I, I just did my top ten. That was the easiest way for me to to do it. I figured I'd not spend a ton of time on each, but I took a little bit of a liberal view. 
of what constitutes a film score. I tried to have some diversity, have some fun with this, really focus on stuff that meant a lot to me. Uh, I mean, these were all original for their you know respective uh, films or works. And right off the bat, I'm going to go with just one of my all-time favorite um, accompaniments to any movie or TV show. Uh, Vince Guiraldi, Guiraldi uh, Charlie Brown's Christmas. I mean, I know it's not exactly, and I have more traditional film scores on my list, but just the the music that goes with this movie. I mean, I watched it as a movie, obviously it was a TV special. It just is the perfect yeah. encapsulation of child time wonderment around Christmas. Like to me, this is just, you yeah. know, I know people think of, you know, religious hymns or classic Christmas carols, but this is what I think of when I think of Christmas, like these, the songs on this, um, this soundtrack. And this really was one of the, er- my earliest exposures to jazz and, what first piqued my interest period in jazz music at all. So I just, I have a soft Mm. spot for this. I know this is a weird place to start given some of the other movies that I'll be talking about. And, uh, it it is a little odd, but like, I I, I can actually see what you mean. Like it's, it's definitely a beloved score. So yeah. And, and and trust me, I I didn't pick a bunch of weird shit throughout. I definitely picked some more traditional aspects, but, and Mm. just to, I, I went chronologically, so this was released in 1965, and my picks go all the way up to 2017, so th- that, <laughs> that's why I just, it happened that I went with that first, just because of that reason. Um, yeah, see, I, I like, I, I mean, it's, it's not that I didn't put any planning, into, like, I, I, I knew, like, like I already have, like, a number of film scores that I like to listen to regularly, so I, I'm just kind of listing those off, um, I guess. Um, I should say... But, but like my, what what defines mine um sort of my picks are more being able to listen to the entire score as opposed to just uh a few choice tracks so that, that, that's why like star wars isn't on there or what sure. have you yeah um but probably my favorite this is probably my favorite soundtrack of all time actually now that i think about it is uh the score to there, there will be blood by uh johnny greenwood mm-hmm. um like i i mean it, it's probably my favorite movie uh well it's either that or uh david cronenberg's videodrome um but i don't know kind of both pretentious movies but um you know i i mean uh, motorcycle (laughs) flying past the house yay um (laughs) i was gonna say i i i did just watch like two ingmar bergman films in the last week so i guess i'm plenty pretentious so um that being said uh yeah they there will be blood uh i I, johnny greenwood's soundtrack is so good with this because i you know he he does a couple of things that like really um sort of cement what makes a great film score for me i think one is sort of a cohesion of instrumentation that he rarely uh drifts away from strings Mm -hmm. uh and but but that gives him like sort of uh, you know some some creative usage because like there are scenes where like he'll like I, I don't know whether he's using drums or maybe he's just using the string like just tapping the strings or what have you but there's a couple scenes where he, like, like they'll use the strings as like a percussive element mm-hmm. um, and it's really interesting it works so well with the entire film uh, like it just it gives it like this sort of surreal yet haunting experience um 
Yeah, I mean, it's 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 just it, it's a gorgeous film anyway. So yeah, it's it's been on my list for a while, and I I, I, I really wish you guys would watch that movie. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's tough because we try to we try to bridge the gap when we pick movies because what 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 oh, Lauren yeah. likes to watch and I like to watch, surprisingly or not, not not always. Yeah, I'm. I mean, to, to, to be fair, it's it, it's not like it's um it's not like it's like hereditary yeah. or something. It's not like a you know boss to a horror movie. It's you know it, it's a drama. It's like a period drama. I think we'll, uh, we'll try to give it a shot then, because yeah, you know. there's there's one scene that might be a little bit much, but even then, I I don't think it's bad considering just the absolute utter insanity you can get when you watch like a horror movie. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but well, yeah, what do you? Yeah, I was next? gonna say. Speaking Good of sir. horror movies, I mean, this is a this is a bona fide classic. You know, I. I had a huge slasher phase in late high school, early college, and you know, there's you know one score to rule them all, one score to bind them. It's Halloween by John Carpenter. <laughs> I mean, I mean, first of all, the, the main theme to that is phenomenal, but um, yeah, I mean, and his work is ex- extremely well known. He's actually even made his own solo career, you know, kind of a second act to his career where he's releasing mm. you know actual studio albums, which um, it's that's its own interesting Pandora's box of you know it kind of feels like a movie without a or yeah movie without pictures whatever but I mean yeah. the Halloween soundtrack I think it helped make this movie because when you actually just watch the movie uh, like any slasher movie uh, it's not it's not not great it's very 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 cheesy <laughs> very over the top uh, the acting is not great um, but I think and and obviously watching. Halloween, you know, this movie originally came out in 1978. Watching it in, in 20... Uh, I think I watched it in some point in the 2010s. I forget exactly when. Obviously, my perception of what horror graphics and what horror cinematography are now kind of made it seem inherently dated, unsurprisingly. Um, but I think of all the slasher movies I saw at the time, just a, a phenomenal, phenomenal job of creating a mood and enhancing... What at the time I'm sure was terrifying. Obviously now nowadays, not as scary just because of the the cinema you know cinematographical, if that's a word, limitations. But um, yeah, really helped to make the movie the horror, um, maybe not masterpiece. But I'm really being dunking. I'm not trying to dunk on this movie. It's just that it's a really fun movie and it's it's super influential. You obviously. I mean, it- yeah, it, it, it's it, it, the thing is like it's an early horror film, so like it's it's going to be corny as hell in some aspects, but that doesn't mean it isn't important. Yeah, exactly, and I think a, a huge part of that, I think that's what separates Halloween from um, like I love the Friday the Thirteenth movies, I love Nightmare on Elm Street, but I think the reason Halloween is so iconic the way it is, um, it's that, that fucking it's that theme, theme man. Yeah. and and the way that you know, obviously, I think that's an example of. The theme being so iconic in, in the, the vein of like Jaws and, and Star Wars, but also I think that it works throughout as well, you know, in my opinion. Mm. And I just, I, I love that. And I, I really love his solo work that he's come out with in the last several years. Um, See, I, I think I've listened, to, I've tried to listen to some of it, and it just sounds like rehashes of the Halloween theme to me. Yeah, I mean, so I, that's I, not an unfair criticism. I, I mean, I, I, I just remember being in like a Newbury comics and like having them play it and i was like yeah this is this is just halloween again and, and again and again 
It, 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 me, maybe I was just listening to like some sort of Halloween soundtrack. It could be. So I'm not gonna, you know, I I, I just yeah. It, when John Carpenter comes out with another album, but we'll, we'll definitely talk about it. Yeah, so. for sure. Um, yeah. So for me, I this is this is an odd choice uh, as well, um, and it is uh, the score to the movie Fight Club uh, by the uh, the Dust okay. Brothers, um, who you know whose credits include. Uh, producing for the Beastie Boys is um, Paul's Boutique <laughs> in the past. Interesting. Um, yeah, David Fincher hired uh, the Dust Brothers to do the score for Fight Club, which I, I'm assume I'm assuming you've seen the movie. Yeah, I've seen Fight Club. Yeah, so like they do. I don't know. Like thinking about it now, they do a really good job just sort of bringing in sort of because like like if if Fight Club is about anything, it, it's sort of about corporate culture. Uh, and sort of late stage capitalism coming to like, you know, a head mm-hmm. and just somebody just going batshit insane from it and finding trying to find some way out. Uh, and I feel like they they capture that really well uh, with, with just like breakbeats and shit. Like it, it works out like extremely well. Uh, I've I always enjoy listening to it um, like for years now. Uh, amazingly, though, I've not bought it i actually i i own there will be blood but um but not the fight club score even though there's a copy of it at uh bull moose that i've had my eye on for like a long time <laughs> so one of these days nice. <laughs> I, I actually don't i don't know if i own certainly not any of these but off the off the see if i maybe i should break into that you know maybe i, sh- I should use this as an excuse to to dive in um yeah, I, I mean, like, it, it doesn't have, like, I, I, I buy the ones, I buy the scores that I appreciate as a whole. Um, like, you know, I'm not going to buy a Star Wars CD j- just because I, you know, I can just listen to the main theme. I can just play it on my piano if I wanted to. Yeah. You know? So, um, but, like, you know, I, I think what makes scores like like these special to me is that, you know, they were kind of, they can only be done in this sort of way, mm-hmm. I guess. So. Yeah. Awesome. Like, yeah. Uh, what you got? So my... Well, I have two picks from the 80s. One, I think you might get mad at me at, just because I'm true... I'm bending the rules to... It, or whatever rules we have to their limit. It's all this good, one, man. Um, obviously, I loved Star Wars as a kid, but there was another 80s movie that just... I was transfixed the first time we watched it. And a big... Star Trek. No. Uh, oh, a, I, I I was hoping you were gonna try to piss me off with no, that. No, uh, I I actually like Star Trek. So <laughs> it's another ahead of its time, way ahead of its time sci-fi movie that was a huge component of its success was the score from Wendy Carlos, and that is Tron. I mean, oh, the first time wait, I, wait, wait, I watched what, Wendy Carlos did yeah, that. The first time I watched oh. Tron with my my you know my. Dad liked to expose us to all the 80s stuff he watched as a kid um, and as a teen. And this just, I was blown away that this came out when it did. It's just, it it is one of those movies that is is so well made and so unique. And I feel, I haven't watched the newest one because I don't want, I don't know, I don't want my experience with the movie tainted. I I really want to watch the new one. I, I haven't watched it. I've watched the original. Uh, and it was a fun movie. Yeah, I mean, so. I just I have a lot tied up. It's, it's trippy as hell. Exactly, and uh, I, I feel like for me, that 
the score is integral throughout, and the score, the, I mean, the whole experience, everything about that movie. I just, I remember as a kid, just being transfixed. Like it just, it was. Oh so, yeah. It was such a great audiovisual experience, and Wendy Carlos, I mean, her her score was an enormous part of that. It, it was, uh, it was the the first like synthetic like sci-fi score that I can remember because I obviously you know Star Wars has you know an orchestral score. Um, I, of the, the sci-fi movies that my dad made me watch when I was a kid, this one stuck out to me across the board. So I, I had to include it. I haven't watched it for a while, and when I when this occurred yeah. to me, I really want to watch it again because I just I I I don't think it's aged well. Yeah, because um, I'm curious. Because at the at, you might you might have another Space Jam on your hands. I mean, at, <laughs> but at the time, it seemed way ahead of its time. So I'm curious if watching it now, I'd be like, oh wow, this is like super dated. But we'll see. Um. Yeah. So. I yeah I actually just a little side note because Wendy Carlos is like an extremely important composer oh, yeah. who doesn't get enough attention um, like I mean not only being one of like the first transgender composers mm-hmm. ever uh, or at least you know openly transgender composers um, you know she was also re- responsible for uh, Switched on Bach which is like was like one of the best selling electronic albums mm-hmm. I think for a long time if I remember right uh, which I would love to get a copy of at some point because it's it's literally just Bach like pieces done on a synthesizer, um, but yeah, anyway. I haven't heard that, but I've I've heard of it and it's obviously sounds really really interesting and, and yeah I I always like uh, David Foster Wallace who's one of my favorite writers that was like one of his favorite albums mm-hmm. uh, so like it, it kind of makes me want to listen to it even more because I'm just that much of a like fangirl I guess. <laughs> um, but uh so the one i so i'm gonna talk about uh ghost in the shell nice uh yeah i i really like that's actually it's actually one of my favorite movies um i i sent you the opening credits but you i mean you've seen it before uh but i I, like that scene was phenomenal until the dub started yeah and then i was like oh wow oh no (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's um so like I actually haven't listened to the whole soundtrack, um, but I that that opening credit scene is called um, "Birth of the Android." Mm-hmm. I think the track is called is one of the most powerful pieces of film and music that I have just ever seen. Because like I you know you know how we always have like this idea in our head of like uh, certain things of like what they should be basically like sort of like an idealized version like if, if you want to go into like plato you know it's the the world of forms if you will um but i my uh god ghost in the shell was like like has come closer than anything else to reach like sort of my ideal of like what science fiction sounds like and like what looks mm-hmm. like that it's like this this creepy future like alien thing but yet it's it's us like you know it's it's not like we're talking about aliens in this movie we're talking about humans you know and yet but but they're so far removed from being human and it's just like this insane thing and just watching you know these visuals of this uh, of uh major kusanagi being created or like recreated i guess i, I i'm assuming that it's her mm-hmm. um you know being being made to this really strange score that i think if i remember right the, the composer used um either like an early form of japanese or like like a, like some sort of extinct like indonesian language uh, and use it like as chants basically mm-hmm. 
uh, to sort of create this alien feel feel to it. And it was just like, it was so cool. Like, it's like that. Oh, I, I'm going to also shout out, uh, the, the, this is probably the most embarrassing one for me. Um, but like the first like 10 minutes of the first Pokemon movie um, <laughs> are, are a huge inspiration for me because like the music that was playing then over Mewtwo being created was just like so freaking cool to me. Like I'd never seen anything like that. And I was like, you know, seven years old. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, that's it, an iconic movie for me in, in, or like a, yeah. you know, a big part of my childhood. So I totally get well, that. The, the, the thing is like the rest of the movie, I, I'm not a big fan of, but like the, uh, that, like the whole process of Mewtwo being created and then having him like having Giovanni, like, you know, take advantage of him for a little bit, uh, which, <laughs> Sounds so perverted. I was waiting for you to either pivot or double down. <laughs> me too. Me too. Me too. <laughs> God. Oh no. Uh, oh, oh no. I, I guess Scott. Do we have to delete no, this now? It, it, we're okay. Don't worry about. It. Okay. Let's, let's just fuck it. Up. Um, <laughs> so, but to, to just the, that that whole scene of seeing like you know a created creature. I don't know. It, it was just a huge moment for me, and just like I still remember some like some like the string swells from yeah. that. So. Uh, but anyway, let's, let's move on. Let's move on to you. Yeah. So I, were those the last couple you had or, um, I have one more. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. I was just going to say for ghost in the shell, I mean that opening scene, I, I started watching with a friend who'd never seen it and he said, you know what? We might as well watch this. Um, that opening scene was phenomenal. And I was like, oh man, we're, this is it. This is going to be a future classic. And unfortunately we watched the, the, you know, the English dubbed version and yeah. I, I've never. I think that's some of the worst, if not the worst. Like you could just tell it was so Americanized. It was so like the mood of it wasn't because that really does the opening scene creates such a mood and such a vibe and, and like kind of exactly what you described. Well, I, yeah, and I, I'm talking about the opening credits, not necessarily the opening scene. Yeah, but the opening that, scene so, is. Uh, it is that, that, that's what I meant. The op- that, opening credits. Yeah. Um, but yeah. The, yeah. So I I need to watch the Japanese the rest version of it, yeah. because I'm I'm very yeah definitely watch the subbed version yeah. of it. I it's like the the thing is like it, it's not a perfect movie. Um, I even think that even though it's one of my favorite movies. Um, but you know, whatever. Uh, but what wh- what do you have for for your for your next one? So, I don't want you to be upset at me breaking the rules. <laughs> But when I thought I about care, this... I, I just brought up Pokemon. Okay, fair. <laughs> the soundtrack I've listened to most, and I think I can defend it from the angle that we've been taking, is the 1984 album Purple Rain by Prince. Oh, okay. Because yeah. I had listened to the album umpteen million times before I watched the movie with, with my mom. And just... Now I can feel the progression of the movie, and I just I can't help but picture the scenes perfectly with each song. And it's not just because obviously they were playing during those scenes, but it's also just I feel like he flows the album so much like a musical, frankly, and so much it feels like there's a narrative. The narrative on the movie is perfectly represented in in the movie and or in the music, and it's just it's an it's just a great experience, and I know it's not really the kind of film score that we've been talking about, but 
I mean, it's still a yeah. soundtrack. Like, and, it's, and it's, it's still part of yeah, the Yeah, and it's original so. music. And I just, when I think of the soundtrack I've listened to more than any, I mean, this technically fits the bill. So. Yeah. I, I've actually never seen the movie. Though. It's a fun, it's a fun uh, movie. I, I think. Yeah, I, I, I've been wanting to. I, I just, I just haven't. I just keep forgetting. I should probably put that on my list. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, um, I think the performance scenes are my favorite part, but it's, it's still a good movie. <laughs> oh man i just got like parts of it stuck in my head now <laughs> now i'm thinking about it but um so my favorites uh, one of my favorite scores as well um this is probably gonna be in the last one because it's probably the last of the most prominent ones for me is um oh actually i just thought of another one too um, <laughs> don't you hate that so now i uh, now i'm not sure which one to talk about uh, I'm just gonna go with the original. I so uh, Requiem for a Dream, yes. the uh, Darren Aronofsky film, it, one of my favorite films. Uh, one of those movies that's guaranteed to put me sort of in a strange mood after, uh, just because it's one of the most disturbing films like ever like made. Honestly, uh, it's and it's somehow it's not as disturbing as the book it's based on. Um, <laughs> but. The uh, the score who, oh, I can't remember uh, it was it was Clint Mansell I think who did the score for that um, yeah it's Clint Mansell in collaboration with the Kronos Quartet um, like he used a lot of like electronic uh, like sort of percussion with the Kronos uh, strings um, and you know it, it's a very iconic theme uh, unfortunately like it, it kind of gets repeated over and over again throughout the soundtrack for the score but but it's still really good. I um, I th- th- that's another one of those films that are those scores that is at Bullmoose that I haven't that I haven't bought you know but I always look at. So. Yeah, I mean, talk about it in trance. I remember we watched that movie together, and it it was just we we did. Yeah, I mean, you said let's watch it. This movie's disturbing, and I was like, okay, how disturbing could it be? And then I was like, oh dear. I wasn't prepared for this. When did we watch this? Because I don't remember. It was early on in our, our friendship, so I, I think that was a pretty yeah. bold move on your part. Like, let's, let's... <laughs> I guess, I, I, or or just plain ignorance. No, but for it, me. it was a it was a great movie. I'm really glad we watched it. Yeah. It was, and I yeah. really liked it. Was because most of the movies I'd watched at that point, you know, I haven't watched a lot of movies by myself. My parents were relatively strict growing up. It was one of the first movies I remember where it didn't really have a happy ending. Or even really, an oh, ending. no, it does not. Or even an ending with even like a, a super clear resolution. It was like really open ended and not really that positive. <laughs> and I was, oh it, god, it's it, it, it's a bleak movie. Yeah, and man. it was, but it was it was kind of nice because I was like, hey, it's 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 I like open ended. I like when a movie leaves that longing for you, where you're like, oh my, like now you, I want to think about what could have happened. So anyway. yeah, I. Yeah, I, I like I love that film, and the, like I'm, I actually come from a similar sort of background that like my parents wouldn't let me watch like you know a lot of stuff mm-hmm. until like I think when I was in high school I was just like fuck it and I just yeah. watched everything I wanted to, uh, you know, including like you, you know I mean a lot of it was really bad stuff like uh, like Wanted, you know the the old uh, the one with Morgan Freeman oh, yeah. and Daniel yep. Ma- uh, is it Daniel McAvoy? I uh, think so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. Um, oh, I, I, can I shout out another one? Yeah. Or, uh, I, do you want to no, go? I'll go ahead and then I'll, I'm going to, I mean, all mine are now contemporary, so I'm just going to yeah. breeze through them. Yeah, well, so I have a contemporary one, too, and we probably actually have the same one. It's, uh, uh Mark Corvin's score for The Witch. Yes, I have that one, too. Um, 
Yeah, I I love that score. I think it's it is just so well made. Um, yeah, I I I love it. I there are a couple other ones I probably would shout out if I but but I want to listen to them more before I definitively say like oh this is a favorite. But like Tom York's uh, version of the Suspiria soundtrack score. Um, uh, mid, uh, Bobby Krillick slash the Hacks and Cloaks uh, score for uh, Midsommar, which by the way amazing horror movie mm-hmm. like i i i can't stop thinking about that movie i i saw it like two weeks ago i think now <laughs> yeah I, I i really want to watch. And lauren wants to see it too but also she's terrified so it there are some very disturbing scenes in that movie but it, it is like one of the most gorgeously like created films i've ever seen uh and it's weird how like perfectly it contrasts with sort of the inherent horror in all of it um yeah awesome yeah definitely definitely watch it it's on amazon prime please watch it because i want to talk to somebody about it so i i will um, uh i i will do some convincing Um, yeah i i mean it, it, it might have to be like lauren might just have to go watch like you know uh, I, I don't know, what, what, what is she, like, Gilmore Girls, Mad About You, I don't know. Oh, the Great British Baking <laughs> Show. That's, there we that, go. That's kind yeah, of a nice it, spoil for any horror yeah, movie. She, 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 can, she, can, she can watch all those soggy bottoms. Yeah, I, oh, uh, I love that you have, I love that you just made that reference. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. I love Great British Baking It's such a, like, it's just like a fucking nice show. Like, it's just so pleasant to watch. Um, As the, I've never watched it, but I, but 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 I know I know the oh, soggy so bottom nice because like so. they don't even win anything. Like they win an award, but they don't only really win cash. Like it's such a nice, like wholesome British show. <laughs> anyway, and Gordon Ramsay has nothing to exactly. do with it. <laughs> this is this is an interesting digression. Um, but yeah, all, anyway. all, all my my next ones are are contemporary, and a couple I'm going to breeze over really really quickly. One of them, obviously, Howard Shore, Lord of the Rings. Talked about it a lot in the first part of the episode. Oh, oh, I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I, I, can I just shout out one sure. more? Because yeah. I, I just totally forgot about this. Because um, it's also Howard Shore. It's Howard Shore and Ornette Coleman. Uh, it's uh, David Cronenberg's uh, uh, adaptation of uh, Burroughs' Naked Lunch. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, because Ornette Coleman just plays over like a bunch of really weird Howard Shore string lines. It's awesome. It's an awesome score. Nice. That sounds but, amazing. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, it, it's a great movie too. Uh, it's nothing like the book, but that that that's a book that can never be truly adapted. So, um, yeah. <laughs> All right. I'll add it to my long long list of uh, movies to watch. God, it's, this is why we shouldn't talk about film because I I will just like double your list. Yes, absolutely. So, um. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I obviously two thousand one to two thousand four three. I forget, but Howard Shore, Lord of the Rings, um, you mm. know, I was talked about a lot in the early part of the episode. One of my favorite scores, one of my favorite movies. Uh, then I'll skip ahead a little bit to, I also had Mark Corbin, The Witch. Uh, I saw mm. when Lauren was studying abroad in Spain, I met up, um, uh, her parents wanted to drive, I think I, my laptop broke and I was using Lauren's laptop. We met up for, for lunch halfway in between Connecticut and, and New Hampshire. And on the way back, I was like, you know what, I have to do it myself. I stopped at this, I don't even know what town I was in, but it was a huge movie theater. It was like one of the biggest, um, one of the biggest cinemas I've ever been in, and there was like no one there. It was like the middle of the day on a Saturday, um, and I saw The Witch, and listen, mm. when listening and watching that, like just on that screen with like just that that 
scope yeah. was amazing. So oh my god, the the so like that. So I think it's the main credits. But when those show up, where uh, you hear, I I think it's like the, the titular witch like grinding, uh, the kids the kid like into like her muscle like her pestle and mortar. That was like shocking to me, and like they include that in the score. Yeah. If you just listen to it on its own, and I'm like, oh, oh god, yes. <laughs> like, oh no, it's a phenomenal <laughs> like, movie which suffered from a really unfortunate marketing campaign. Um, Why well, did it be because people like touted it as like the next scary thing? No, because they, I mean, I mean, it's it is a horror movie, but also it's it's very much a period drama. Um, well, it, I mean, it, it's 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 very subdued, like a, like a twenty four, like str- like I, I think they they spearheaded like this new wave of like art house horror yeah, if you will exactly it's it, it's very brooding and like it's it's more atmospheric than it is like outright like fuck you yeah up. exactly <laughs> and i think to, to, to kind of call back to what you were talking about earlier about indie filmmakers uh when it eventually because it had a very limited release and when it did get picked up again and they did another marketing campaign whatever you know whether whatever studio they partnered with i forget um they very much made it seem like a, a, essentially a monster movie you know, like like the witch was the yeah. end. and so a lot of my friends and co- like a few of my coworkers who saw it thought it sucked because they were expecting like this blood and gore, you know, horror. They weren't expecting like a truly well acted and unsettling period drama that pulls mm. from like colonial diaries and folklore and stuff. They were expecting like a, a really bloody scary movie, and it just that. What what's that line that Black Phillip says? Dost thou want to sweet yeah. or something like that? <laughs> yeah. Um, God. That's such a great movie. Yeah, so if I can, I'll just go through. So the rest of these are all 2010 yeah. plus. Uh, this one, this is my last time breaking the rules, I promise. Uh, I don't this care, is, man. <laughs> uh, I haven't seen the the full TV series because it's in French, but this is an incredible score. It's uh, Mogwai, Le Revenant. Oh, yeah. The, is that like the, the zombie uh, show? Yeah, it's da, da, da. it's a really... I have a vague idea what it's about, but I know, like, I've seen... Uh, only because I've only seen clips on YouTube and it's in French and, and, and whatnot, but essentially it, it's a town where people just start coming back. You know, like, people who have died, it's a small town, a small community, and they just start, like, mm. resurfacing. And that just kind of picturing... A really hazy, secluded French village. I mean, the Mogwai did an exceptional job. It's just so, and mm. and there's they did a, the one song that's really like you know quote unquote an actual song is a rendition of uh, what are they doing in heaven today, and it's just so beautiful and heart wrenching. Love it. Great, great album. Um, so now I have a number of of. Uh, um, I, I guess I'll talk about this one briefly. It's uh, Mike Patton, nineteen twenty two. Uh, it's a Stephen King adaptation. Okay. Yeah. Not really what you'd expect from a, a Patton project. It's much more he truly, truly well, just did a, a score for the movie. But yeah, but Patton's scoring work is is a little is much different than his normal. Yeah, stuff. I'm just yeah, uh, yeah exactly. I would say if, if don't expect like especially if you know what the movie's about, you'll be like, how what how did Mike Patton do it? But like he did a great job. A very in a similar vein, obviously, mu- like several centuries. Um, later than The Witch, but a very similar idea of the soundtrack for isolation and the soundtrack for you know a declining mental state, to put it more broadly. Mm. But just an amazing score that truly enhanced 
the movie. And I really, I mean, I knew the general premise of the movie. You know, never read the the short story by Stephen King, but he did an excellent job. Stephen King has so much work, man. That like, I, I don't think anybody can blame you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but my last two are both synth based, and one is uh, "It Follows" by Disasterpiece. Good okay. God, he did an incredible job with this score. Uh, the whole premise of "It Follows" is, um, isn't that a remake? Uh, I don't, I don't think so. It might be, but. They they play on they do a very clever clever updates of tropes within um, you know classic slasher movies and horror movies and, mm. and put it in a new light and I won't ruin it but there's certain like there's certain characters and there's only one character protagonist throughout the movie who can see it you know the monster and there's this one scene where. Um, like she's freaking out and everyone's like wow like what do you like no one's there and like you don't see it and then he does this suit like then the camera turns around and it comes through the door frame and the the mm. cascading it literally it sounds like the synthetic um equivalent of just like nails cascading onto the ground and it's just so oh. creepy like it just it makes a really scary scene because what it manifests as is really scary. It makes it so much creepier, and that happens so many times throughout the movie. Oh man! Actually, I now you think of it, that that just actually reminded me of another film. <laughs> Again. Yeah, go ahead. Um, uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus's Atticus Ross's score for uh, Gone Girl, uh, which is a horrible movie and a horrible book. I I really dislike both of those properties immensely. Uh, like I and I'm not one to dislike something very strongly but i really don't like those books like the book or the movie but the score for it is incredible they uh i i assume you're uh, have you watched it or um i don't think so um, so if i spoil part of it for you will, will you care or not oh uh, no that's fine because like there's a part where the main character kills neil patrick harris um but she's trying, but and so, I, I like they do this like it's basically just like a pulse of synths that just like it, it like rumbles, and it is like so perfectly timed with like just like this whole scene. It, it's it's incredible. Like I still think about that scene to this day. Nice. Uh, even even though the rest of the movie is just awful. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, it, to be fair, it's not. It's more like. The characters in the movie are awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, anyway. <laughs> yeah. That's my final one, I promise. Yeah, well, now so. I have my final one. This is the... I saw this one most recently, so it's kind of more of a uh, an addendum, because I haven't really absorbed it as as much, but it, it was amazing watching it. Uh, it's a one on Tricks Point Never Good Time. Um, oh, okay. Uh, the reason I was attracted to Good Time is because obviously Robert Pattinson, um, his career was kind of nuked before it started because he he <laughs> was the like the heartthrob character in one of yeah he was a, he, he was a sexy vampire yeah, exactly. boy for but a he, few was, he was like the heartthrob yeah. main character in a movie that like is one of the most panned movies of our generation if not ever, um, but apparently in the roles he's taken since he's been phenomenal and that is oh yeah so true in this movie he plays. Um, essentially he needs to get his brother out of 
jail and he is doing anything he he can and it's you know a bunch of crime and debauchery throughout new york city and one on tricks point never it's just it's just it's so cool like just the the synth tones and the patterns he picks are so cool but also it totally captures that kind of vibe of like that mischievous synthetic like the neon lights just everything just hmm just very out of out of control like just very you know wild and you know it's it's funny to talk about that because um i've actually really been meaning to see uncut gems yeah which uh, which he also did yeah yeah he also did uh and it also takes place in new york as well i (laughs) i really want to i have heard like people i know who Love film are on very yeah. different sides of the aisle with that movie, so I'm curious to see it. Like some, including my yeah. uh, one of my media professors in college uh, had to. He said he turned it off and like just couldn't finish it. Um, so yeah, see, some people are like like I, I remember um, uh, a friend of mine saw uh, the Neon Demon mm-hmm. way back in the day, and like he thought it was terrible. And I watched it. I'm like, I don't think this is that bad. Um, you know, but it's like one of those things, man. Yeah, I mean, just it, actually, do, do you remember when um, Mother came out, the uh, the Darren Aronofsky film? Yes, and I they had a very similar polarizing. Uh... Yeah, exactly. And I was like, I, I mean, I was watching. I'm like, this thing's fucking genius. Like, <laughs> but you know, and that's another movie that, I need that's to see that I've wanted to see. Oh, it's so good, dude. It, it, I mean, it, it's pretty disturbing, yeah. but 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 it's it's not like disturbing in like the way that like you know a horror movie usually is. It's it's really interesting. Um, anyway, so I, I have one more uh, LOL example okay. because I yeah. in the list I was looking at just to make sure I didn't forget anything. I saw this and I forgot that I watched this. Um, it is the anatomy of a murder, and Duke Ellington actually did the soundtrack. Uh-huh. And the reason okay. it's kind of an LOL example is because I love. I mean, it's it's not it's a Duke El- Duke Ellington, you know as you'd expect him to play. Um, but it is, it was, it's considered a classic movie. It has, you know, James Stewart, you know, a very, uh, you know, yeah. respected actor or whatever. Um, it's probably one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Honestly. Like, and I, <laughs> really? I because that, that, but like that, that's, it's like a really well-regarded movie. It is movie. one of the most, and I wasn't like, I put down my phone, I was paying attention. It's incredibly boring. And, yeah. I don't even. Um, so the whole point is, like, you know, he's trying to get this guy off for murder, and like he does, and you're not happy about it because, frankly, the case that he establishes isn't like great. <laughs> um, so at the <laughs> end, you're like, I don't even understand how they ruled that this guy didn't commit the murder, and also like I'm not like I'm not happy about it. Like you're supposed to be like he finishes like, well, <laughs> I'm gonna go fishing now. I did my part. Um, and then it's like it, 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 it's like the end of Casablanca. It's like fuck you, stay with him. Yeah, exactly. It's it, it's it's just totally like okay, and it's real. I have to look up how long, it was really long. I'm like, I, how is there so much time left in this? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I saw that and I was like, I kind of want to include this because I love Duke Ellington, but at the same time, this movie fucking sucks. Um, yeah. Oh, l- l- little shout out. Uh, the opening credits of uh, Catch Me If You Can, like. That, that that's some pretty good film music right there but uh we're getting very long into this yeah. episode so uh let's talk about albums of the week so 
Scoots, you got an album of the week for me? So I think for um, the next few weeks, I'll I'll just keep picking CDs, or you know, as long as I, uh, you know, as long as I'm listening to them and and enjoying them. CDs from that buy I had from Red Scroll, I mentioned on last episode, <laughs> uh, just because I really I was really stoked about the ones I picked. You know, I, I felt like I picked yeah. a really well-rounded group of albums. Um, that covered a wide variety of genres. And this is an album I've been wanting to buy for a while. Uh, I know it's kind of a big deal in country music. And I've, I've been kind of, I have a newfound love of country music. And this is one that I really wanted to listen to. And now I totally, it's one of those albums, you know it's classic and you listen to it and you totally get it. it, it can, can I take a guess sure. at this? Uh, is it Marty Robinson? Gunsinger ballads? No, it is. Uh, although now okay. I'm going to write that one down. I want to check that out. Um, I I think that's the name of it. Uh, the one I'm referencing is uh, Johnny Cash live from Folsom Prison. Oh, okay. It is. Yeah. He is just such. A, I would have loved to have seen him live. He was such a fun presence. I love that he tailored the con. Like there are so many songs that are specifically about like being in prison and kind of uh, the camaraderie that he establishes with inmates yeah the, it, the prisoners it's there, just, yeah. and also you know love his performance love his voice um oh for, speaking of film have you watched walk the line no i i, I think i we checked if it was on netflix and we didn't see it i think i mean this is a little while ago because i was interested in watching it but um, yeah, oh yeah it's it's a super great movie i'm not even a johnny cash fan yeah and, so. and i haven't listened to a ton of cash in my day but this is this is an excellent Excellent album, and I'm I'm glad that I I'm glad that I found it. I, th- I think I was almost done looking through their their disc Red Scrolls Discogs pages. I was like, you know what? Let me just click one more, and it was the first item. And I was like, <laughs> fuck, I'm I'm getting this. So really, really great. Really love that. Um, I'm finally getting into country because it, it's it's paying off for me. You know, it's it's nice. Like man. Well, ever since I've it kind of clicked for me, all the country albums I've bought, I've been a huge fan of. So I, I really need to give country another try at some point um yeah but okay so my album of the week is uh by a duo that uh we've talked about already in this episode and that is uh trent reznor and atticus frost though uh you know it's more nine inch it's the new nine inch nails album uh ghosts but or, well, I, have you heard about this? Yeah, it was, it was a surprise you know? release yeah. last week. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, so two Ghost albums, Ghost 5, which is, I think it's called Together, and then 6, which is called Locust. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was just, like, surprise release for free. I finally listened to them uh, over the past few days. Wow. Like, really amazing stuff. Uh, but for me, uh, Together was probably the most powerful out of them um even though they there is some stuff in locust that is really interesting like uh like he uses like trumpets in it uh which is just such a strange sound to hear like trent reznor and agus ross doing but it works it works really well interesting um yeah but together though is is probably my favorite out of the two uh and uses like a lot of these like chorus uh, I, I think they're like he definitely uses like some sort of vocal samples. Um, it is just it's a powerful album and it's it, it just feels hopeful and you know 
hope is something I really need right now. <laughs> so um, I think it's something we all need right now. And it, so it was just really uplifting to hear this. Um, and it's just a very powerful uh, listen. It made me think that, you know, it sort of made me want to listen to more ambient work as well. Just because of like sort of how it flowed and things like that. Um, so yeah, yeah. Right. I haven't. Um, <laughs> I think I I listened to the Ghost album once. You let me borrow it a little while back, like a, yeah, quite a while it, back. Ghost Ghost one through four. Yeah, that, that that's a tough listen because I mean it's it's a long ass album. Yeah. It's a long ass listen, and some of it isn't incredibly rewarding. Uh, though I, I I think it's grown on me a lot over the years. Uh, yeah, I think I remember liking it, but also being like, I'm never going to listen to the, you know, this much music again, <laughs> only to discover that I would start appreciating longer projects as I got Yeah, I, I, you, you say then you, you own the disintegration. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, there's a period of time where I wouldn't, like, I thought five minutes was a long song, which is kind of cute, now yeah. that, you know, for me to think. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, for, and, and yeah. honestly, I, I would, I would like prefer to be around the three to four minute mark and like now that that's like a short song for me but speaking of like yeah. before we go um that anatomy of a murder movie 160 minutes of Ooh, black and yeah. white over like overacted courtroom drama that's a no, lot but, anyway but, but 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 then again uh you know i plan on watching seven samurai at some point this week which is like three and a half hours so um at least they'll be fighting in wish that, me I luck assume. I think so, but it's also like an art house movie, so who knows? <laughs> well, I I certainly would rather watch that or virtually any other movie uh, than the Anatomy. <laughs> no, like I'm I'm sorry, I don't want to dunk on this movie too much, but I'm, I'm gonna do it because it was really bad. Like I I I, I got. I got sunk cost fallacy, you know, thoughts in my head at a certain point, but I was like, no, I'm gonna watch it, and I'm not glad I did. What, what was that? What. Sunk cost the, fallacy. A sunk cost fallacy. Sorry, I, I mispronounced it. Oh, yeah, I I don't know what that is. Oh, just so, just like um, uh, you, you you put so much time and effort into something, you might as well finish it. But it's 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 oh, kind of okay. a, all right. Uh, you know, it doesn't really make much sense when you think about it because you'll basically it, it's it's meant for like when you're arguing with people about something. You know, yeah. like we might you know we've gone this far, we might as well keep going. But like, it doesn't actually make yeah. sense. Um, that was my, I, I got, I, I don't even know what point, like maybe the, the hour and a half mark. And I was like, I fucking hate this movie, but I'm like, you know what? You got this far. Let's do it. And it's like, that doesn't make sense. I was like, well, this, this movie being made doesn't make sense. So let's move on. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> that has been our episode this week. It has been very long. Uh, and we've had numerous technical issues throughout this, but thank you for listening. Yes. And, uh, we'll be back. We next love week. you. Yes. We love you. Bye. Bye. <laughs>